Good morning, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Larry Kay, and uh, I will be the host for the presentation this morning. Today is Sunday, June 18th, 2023. Happy Father's Day for those that are celebrating. Um, the share, let me give you the share ID numbers for Friday, June 16th. Uh, that number for the 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting, that number is 20,358. That's 20358. And for the 10 a.m. meeting, that number is 20,359. That's 20359. This morning, A Vision for You presents, Once This Malady Has a Real Hold, We Are a Baffled Lot. So our speaker this morning, uh, she's going to focus on Chapter 2, entitled There is a Solution, and she's going to do her best to bring that chapter to life by threading together her uh, personal experience, her insights. So we look forward to that. Now, when, when, we, when we come to the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, we, we learn about two powers, actually. We learn uh, about the power of the fellowship, and then we learn about the power of the vital spiritual experience, that vital spiritual transformation. And if we who are powerless can get both of these powers, you know, operating in our lives, then maybe we can get over compulsive overeating and, you know, that this, this vicious disease that's caused such devastation in our lives. And on page 17 in the, in the, the chapter, there is a solution uh, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, for those who are powerless, Bill writes the prescription for what we need to do. He he talks about the two powers. And remember that Ebby Thatcher provided Bill with a solution. And now in the book, Bill's going to present us with a solution in the same way. And he said, there is a solution, right? You know, you're, it's, it strikes me years ago in my, I was thinking in my initial experience in, in OA, there was a, I guess I'll call it an old timer, and once told me that, kind of stuck with me. He said, you know, for people like me, he was talking about me, a, a compulsive overeater who is utterly powerless, he said there, was, there is, is as many solutions to my problem as there are people in OA. In other words, you know, thousands upon thousands of solutions. And yet, see how on, on, we see on page 17, we learn just how many solutions there really are for if you're like me. Um, there is a solution, one. And in chapter two, it goes on to say that we of Alcoholics Anonymous know thousands of men and women who are just as hopeless as Bill. Nearly all have recovered. They have solved the drink problem. And once again, the text obliterates the myth that we are forever in a battle for sobriety. That, you know, the myth that there would never be a solution that would eradicate the, the mental obsession that leads us to eat. And the myth that we would never cross the bridge to freedom as the result of working and implementing the uh, 12 steps. And, and that, that simply is not true. If it were true, it would, you know, it would stand to reason that no true compulsive reader 
could experience both sobriety and happiness. You know, and uh, you know, no, no, no true compulsive reader could be both abstinent and peaceful and serene. If there wasn't, you know, a solution, all we could expect would be a a, a constant state of fight and, and 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 fear and temporary sobriety that would always give way. You know, if there wasn't a solution, and yet this chapter emphatically tells us that. What binds us together is the, the, the common problem, lack of power, of course, and what binds us together is a common solution, access to power, a power greater than ourselves through the application, through the implementation of the 12 steps. And that's extraordinary news for a guy like me. You know, the solution offers a way out and permanent freedom to those who continually implement the solution. So before I, I, I hand this over to Lisa B, who's going to do a wonderful job sharing, I want to I, I want to you know share a metaphor for the solution, and, and so it involves a caterpillar, right, and a, and a caterpillar struggling with the limitations of its body and its environment, and and it spins itself into a cocoon, and and that caterpillar undergoes what? Well, the caterpillar undergoes a, a, a transformation. Now, you know, inside the cocoon, the caterpillar dissolves into a sort of a, a formless goo, really, before reorganizing into a completely new shape with wings and the freedom to fly. And so in much the same kind of organic way, a person struggling with compulsive overeating may feel trapped within a cocoon of this disease by their addictive behaviors and, 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 and patterns, and, and yet by engaging in a spiritual solution. Again, through these actions embedded in the steps, we undergo a transformative process. Through these actions, God enables us to dissolve our old ways of being and emerge as a completely new, free person capable of soaring to new heights, right, and, 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 and sort of living a life of purpose and meaning. So just as the butterfly can't ever return to its former caterpillar form, if you will, a person who has undergone this transformation cannot return to their former life of, 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 of disease. Now, rest assured, uh, that said, a butterfly could choose to crawl and inch around like its former caterpillar self, but, but it only does so if it, if, it, if it abdicates its role as a transformed butterfly, right? That's the only way that you would see that. And frankly, you're not going to find too many butterflies sort of inching and, and, and crawling around like the caterpillar days. And you know what, you know, now we know what it takes for a beautiful monarch butterfly to soar. You know, what, what does it take? Well, I'll tell you, a caterpillar had to die first. The caterpillar herself had to die, and that's not terribly surprising because throughout the natural world, we can observe how organisms undergo transformative processes as they grow and as they develop. And, for example, a seed transforms into a plant, and that transforms into a tree, and the caterpillar transforms into a butterfly. And each of these transformations involves a breakdown of old form, the old form, and the emergence of a new form. So is, is it so surprising that we, too, as human beings, can undergo a metamorphosis? And in the context of recovery, the transformation is similar. It involves a breakdown 
of old patterns of behavior and the emergence of a new way of being. And this way of being is characterized by spiritual principles, such as honesty, humility, and service. And it's all the step work enables us to become that person. And these principles enable us to live the life that God intended for us, reconnected with our authentic selves, and we, and we begin to live a life of purpose and meaning. So joining us this morning to share her experience, strength, and hope in finding a power greater than herself and discussing some of the, the ideas in Chapter 2 is Lisa B. That's L-E-S-A, as she says, and I appreciate it because otherwise I'm going to look for Lisa spelling at L-I-S-A, and I'm, I'm not going to find her in South Carolina. Lisa B. is from South Carolina. She's a dedicated member to Overeaters Anonymous, so hear her on vision, and she's devoted to the practice and teaching of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions that have transformed her life. She's not a caterpillar anymore. So please join me in welcoming Lisa B. to the line this morning. Lisa, good morning. Oh, good morning, Larry. Thank you so much. What a beautiful introduction. I was really uh, following along the whole thing of the butterfly and the seed and the tree and everything. It was just, it was really beautiful. Thank you so much, and thank you for your service. Uh, my name is Lisa B., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and I am here in, in the Greenville area of South Carolina, and I'm very grateful to be here. And um, thank you for everyone that's doing service and for asking me to share this morning. Um, so when I was asked to speak, you know, it really popped right in my head. It was just God, and I call my higher power God. And it's also easier to say that than my higher power, my higher power. So I say God, <laughs> and thank God, right? Thank God for this program and for bringing me closer to God, my creator. So on page 23 in the chapter, there is a solution. There is that line. Once this malady has a real hold, they are a baffled lot. And I want to share about my experience being a baffled lot. So I am a recovered compulsive overeater, and I'm so grateful for a vision for you. My very first introduction to vision, and this is my home group, and of course it's a regular OA meeting. We're focused on the big book, so it's an OA meeting, you know, it's not a separate offshoot. And um, I came in October of 2015 as a listener in the background, and um, I was really intrigued. A wonderful fellow from, a, from an AA meeting said, and I really believe it was just the finger of God guiding her, you know, why don't you suggest this meeting? And she did. And I'm, I am forever grateful to that person because at that time I was recovering from a very, very um, difficult surgery. I had heart surgery. So I was underweight at that time. And that triggered that part of my illness because I can be either in me, within me as a compulsive overeater, I can be an 80 pound emaciated person I also have the ability to be a 400 pound person I really I volume eating can be um, something that is really will take me down take me down for sure I don't know which way it's going to go now I was in the restrictive mode at that time but I could feel breathing down my neck the disease and I was doing a lot of self will um human power i was doing a lot of human power well i'll just get off of sugar that's one of my alcoholic ingredients so i had been off of sugar i was only eating organic you know i thought well if i just eat organic 
you know, gluten-free, all that stuff. Um, not, don't eat anything white, you know, crazy, crazy things, no white rice and all that stuff. I just was following all the things that you see in the magazines, you know, and what the stars eat, you know. <laughs> so that's what I was trying to do, and I was truly in the obsession when someone told me about this meeting, and I knew to the core of my being that if I didn't get on this meeting, that I could feel a binge was like right there around the corner and that it would be a binge like I have never experienced before. So I want to share with you back in 1987, um, I was fortunate enough to go into a treatment center. I used to live in South Florida and it was a very, very good treatment center for being a compulsive overeater and binge eater and eating disorder is how they phrased it. And I was under my dad's insurance and I was very fortunate to have about six weeks in that facility. And I was blessed because they gave me a really good food plan that happened to eliminate pretty much all of my alcoholic ingredients. So I had um, an experience there that got me abstinent. I am sure that they covered the doctor's opinion and the 12 steps. But, you know, I just, I don't know where my head was. I wasn't hearing any of it. I thought... If I have this food plan, I'm okay. That's all I need. I just needed someone to show me how to eat. And I got out of there, and then for six years, I had a white-knuckle abstinence, no recovery in my mind and in my spirit. And what we learn in this wonderful chapter, there is a solution, and that's what the whole chapter is about. But for a long time, I thought it was hidden. Like, I couldn't – it's called there is a solution, but I kept saying, yeah, but where is the solution? It kept – missing me and then finally I was able to see it so for six years you know I lived with human power me I worshipped myself I worshipped what I wanted how I felt what you thought of me my pain my suffering you know and um, I was going to 12-step meetings because I'm blessed also to be an AA in fact that's how I um, came to OA I, I actually went to my first AA meeting hoping to get recovery with the food, and then I found out that I belong there, and I stayed there, and that's just all truly God's grace. So I had been reading a big book, listening, but I'd never got truly recovered from this disease as a compulsive overeater. So my mind was just untreated. My spirit was untreated. And then I met my husband, and I thought all my problems were solved. So when I married my husband, I was in that state of white-knuckle abstinence. And then one day, being a newlywed, Walking through the mall, I saw the true love of my life, which was Mrs. Fields' cookies. And I said, you know what? I've done a lot of work. A lot of time has gone by. And then just like we read, and there is a solution, you know, the insane thought, this time it'll be different. And I picked up those cookies, and then I was off and running. And this is what I want to share about those 23 years of being in the malady and being a baffled person, baffled. Why can't I get abstinent? Why can't I stay abstinent? And, you know, we're, I was ready when I was ready in 2015 when I came to A Vision for You and I introduced myself as a newcomer. I just want to encourage people to please do that. You know, that's when you list like the five most important things of your life, and I can list mine. That is one of the most important. I still get chills, you know, when I think about that day. I can't tell you enough with gratitude 
that I feel for putting my name out there and then the calls that I received because I was given a lifeline. People like, well, I'm not going to name names because I don't want to put anyone on a pedestal, but there are so many people on this line that often, you know, I don't get to speak to you or call you or meet you, but I want to thank you for your service, for your shares, for walking before me and walking beside me, you know, and that's what we have in this very beginning of There is a Solution. It talks about that nearly all have recovered. They have solved the problem. That's what I heard on the line. And it says, you know, we were just, we realized we were as hopeless as Bill. That's where I was. I mean, I truly was hopeless. And if I had come to vision five years earlier, I would not have been ready. I would have said, you guys are just way too extreme. You know, what is this thing about entire abstinence? It's unrealistic. You see, abstinence is my whole problem. I can't do abstinence comfortably. And Larry talked about peace of mind. It was wonderful listening to Larry because I could, you know, I, I relate to everything he said. And I love this chapter because I'm, I am living this chapter every day. I've lived this chapter. I continue to live it. I've experienced it. And when I felt led to share on this chapter, I've been rereading it, rereading it. And there are some wonderful special editions on There is a Solution. I listened to those. And I prayed, you know, and this whole preparation process of this special edition has been so different for me because normally I write everything out, but I just didn't feel led to do that. I felt led to read it a few times and just go into a lot of prayer and meditation and just ask to be a vessel. And God knows who's out there and who needs to hear what what is being said. So I'm hoping and praying, you know, and I'm having faith. God is so powerful. God is amazing, you know, more much more powerful than me. So it talks about the fellowship, and I want to share with you, I can't stay abstinent on the fellowship, but meeting the fellowship on this meeting was life-saving because I started hearing people that are recovered. When I came on, I was such a skeptic. You can't get recovered as a compulsive overeater and stay recovered, and I didn't even really want to use that word recovered. You know, and in the forward to the second edition, it talks about permanent recovery and then introducing myself as a newcomer people encouraged me they said find someone that can take you through the doctor's opinion and I met my beloved sponsor who took me through the doctor's opinion and guess what she wasn't available yet to sponsor me and that's okay I needed that time she said continue to look she, she just didn't have the time slot, you know, or whatever you want to call it, the availability. But I really wasn't ready just then. So I introduced myself as in, in October, November of 2015. I started working with her in January of 2016. That goes on as one of my dates. It's like a date of such tremendous value to me. And then I got recovered 12 weeks after that. And it's not like we did a step a week. It sounds like we did a step a week. We didn't. It just worked out to be 12 weeks. That that's how long it took us to go through the steps. But we hear on this line, if you're more afraid of putting the food down than of picking the food up, you know, you may not be ready. Well, I wasn't afraid then of putting the food down. It's like something happened to me when I introduced myself. And I think all these awarenesses started come to me. So I went into treatment. I was like maybe, um, you know, 23 or 24 years old. And I got recovered in my early 50s, okay? I needed all that time 
of just pomp and ego and pride and being convinced that I'm not like you guys. You know, I can do this through restriction or compulsive exercise or um, I can do a detox or I can stop and manage it. Well, you know what started happening to me is the spiritual malady and the emotional bankruptcy and the mental anguish is really what took me down. Like I said, I do have the ability to be a 300 or 400 pound person because I don't know when that binge cycle is going to come on. And that's where I was before I went to treatment. And I love sharing with newcomers and people that are in relapse that the way I talk about it is every day before I got recovered, I had to go out my front door and down the steps of this front porch. And under this porch is this monster that has been living there for probably since I was 15 years old, you know, when I really started having an issue with the food. And I don't know when that monster is going to grab me by the ankles and pull me in and will I be able to get out. And I find, and we hear this on the line, that as we age, our body breaks down, our spirit breaks down, the illness becomes progressively stronger. I need that power. I need the God power. That's what this whole book is about, you know, finding this power, having a relationship with this power and the transformation that Larry talked about, changing the person that I was when I came in here. I can't use that same mindset, that same attitude set to treat myself. I can't stay that person. I have to become a totally different person, and I can't do that on my own. So when we went through the doctor's opinion and we learned about the only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. You know, we spent a good deal of time on that, and I've learned several things. Thank you to the wisdom of my sponsor. You know, and, in the, and there is a solution. It says on eight, page 18, but the ex-problem drinker who has found this solution, who is properly armed with the facts about himself, can generally win the entire confidence of another alcoholic in a few hours. Until such an understanding is reached, little or nothing can be accomplished. Well, when she called, I received probably that day 23 phone calls already. And I remember saying to my husband, you know what? I think I made a mistake in putting my name on this line because all these people are calling me and it is just too much. So think back, you know, when you weren't recovered, like my... I just didn't have any tolerance. I got overwhelmed. I mean, I could have a customer service call that would throw me into a spiral that would take me days to recover. That's where I was. You know, just to talk to my father on the phone, I needed a caramel macchiato from Starbucks to to steady my nerves just to talk to the man because I couldn't handle it. Not that anything was wrong with him. The problem was all me. But I didn't have any coping skills. So all these calls coming in, I can't handle it. Suddenly, her call comes in. She was so nice and gracious. And I said, you know, could I call you back? I'm really overwhelmed. And she said, call me whenever you want, you know, whenever you want. And that's what it talks about on the bottom of page 18, you know, um, just a sincere desire to be helpful. Well, I felt drawn in and I called her that evening and then I continued to call her. And she suggested podcasts to listen to on abstinence, which I really needed because I was in so much denial of what abstinence was. I thought, first of all, I thought if you were abstinent, you're recovered. But that's not true. 
that's just like one element. That's just one thing. And really for me, when I was abstinent from that treatment center, I really didn't have an understanding of what entire abstinence meant. I didn't truly get that it's the ingredients that I need to see, just like an alcoholic with alcohol, that it's the food behaviors, that it's the patterns, sometimes the combinations of food, sometimes textures, you know, all of that. I also had to learn that just because you have a food plan doesn't mean you're abstinent. I could have a food plan and it not be abstinent. So I had to learn these things. And I kept listening to these podcasts and I would share with her. And one day she said to me as we were approaching January, you seem like you're really ready. I have a spot becoming available. And I just snagged it, you know. And we started this work of going through this work. And I remember going through this chapter with her. And I remember being on page 19, a much more important demonstration of our principles lies before us in our respective homes, occupations, and affairs. I was blown away by that. I'm still on step one, and I'm learning that my constant thought of others and that my very life depends on that. And then when we were on, I'm sorry if I'm jumping all around, I truly apologize, but on page 18, it talks about that this is an illness and that if a person has cancer, people are sorry for them. No one's angry or hurt, but not so with this. There goes annihilation of the things worthwhile in life. It engulfs all whose lives touch the sufferers. It brings misunderstanding, fierce resentment, all of that. And that's where I was. You know, I have been abstinent and recovered now for a little over seven years. We're going to be celebrating 30 years of marriage. And do you know, just of those seven years, I, I've been the wife that I know my higher power would want me to be. I've been the best friend of my husband that I know my higher power would want me to be. All those other years before that, being an untreated, compulsive overeater, selfish, self-centered, full of self-pity, just not seeing how I treated him, treated other people, treated my family. I was convinced that if I had a different childhood, a different job, a different husband, a different, that I would be better. And then it talks about, on page 21, it talks about the hard eater and the real alcoholic. And, you know, it's so important that if I'm a real compulsive overeater, that I not try and be sponsored by someone that is just a hard compulsive overeater or just a hard eater because guess what they can ultimately stop and control and moderate on their own that is so deadly for me I can't have anything to do with just human power the whole purpose of this program is to get access to that highest power that greatest power and on page 25 we learn that this is really about character building and spiritual values. That's the solution. That is the solution, having a change. And then I love how it talks about the facts on page 24 and 25. And then it also talks about the middle of the road solution. So on page 24, it says the fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice. You know, my husband is my best friend. He does not understand that. He doesn't understand that. He's not an addict in any way. He just doesn't get it. And that's okay. I don't need him to understand. I understand it. 
my creator understands it. I have fellows like you that understand it. I love walking daily, sharing with other recovered fellows who have become dear friends that listen to my inventories. I take their inventories. They understand it. I don't have that loneliness anymore, that emptiness. You know, and I don't have that threadbare, that old threadbare idea that this time I will handle myself like other people. I wanted to be like my sister that could have a vodka and tonic and a slice of pizza. <laughs> I mean, I can't have either. I wanted to be like her. My life goes in the toilet when I have those things. But it doesn't always happen right in that moment. It can happen days or a few weeks later and I'll think I'm controlling it, that I'm the one that's wanting more. And then it talks about, on page 25, there is a solution. And it says almost none of us like the self-searching. Guess what? I don't have to like it. Isn't that a relief? Like, I don't have to like it. I just have to do it. We don't like the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, the confession of our shortcomings, which the process requires for its successful consummation, but we saw that it really worked in others, and we had come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as we had been living it. You know what? I need that hopelessness, and I need that futility. I have to be out of ideas. If I still have this idea that I can try this, I can try that idea. You know, I was terrified of relapse because I think I knew on an intuitive level that chronic relapse is very possible for me. I saw that I could live to be 100 years old and maybe even die of natural causes and never get recovered. I was terrified of relapse. It, there's something weird about this disease and that I've heard the saying, you know, it's like being kicked to death by a rabbit. My brother, my beautiful brother, who's no longer with us, died, a drug addict. Um, I know what drugs do to people. It, my father used to always say, he's got to hit bottom. He's got to hit bottom. And he hit bottom very, very fast. And then he would go into treatment. For us, bottom may not come quickly. That's the terrifying thing. You know, we think that when we eat compulsively, go off of our abstinence, that we're going to burst into flames. You know what? We don't. We keep living. We keep living. I don't want to have that happen. And it could potentially happen. And yes, we want to keep coming back, but I just don't want to keep slipping and sliding. And that was my prayer. My prayer was, please show me how to do this. Of course, it is one day at a time. I don't know what's going to happen later today or this evening or tomorrow. But what I've learned is I can't minimize anything. The strength of my program starts in the doctor's opinion. The more honest I am with myself about my alcoholic ingredients and foods and behaviors and ultimately my sponsor, that's going to keep me in a solid place. The more honest I am about knowing who and what I am and what I need about the boundaries and parameters of my food plan and sharing it with others. I still pick up the phone and share with another compulsive overeater that's recovered today. If I do any behavior, if I, you know, lick the spoon, like just not even thinking, you know, serving and then the spoon goes under my mouth. Wait a minute, what am I doing? I don't do that. I call someone, I share about it. I still 
act like I'm brand new in this. And I can't take credit for that. That's God's grace giving me that sense of fear and willingness. I do to the very best I can whatever my sponsor asked me to do in the beginning. You know, know what I'm going to eat. I know what I'm going to eat that day. I even know what time. I often even know who I'm going to eat with. I don't just fly by the seat of my pants. I can't. If I'm going out, I know what I'm having. It's such a serious thing, this disease. It can't be minimized. That's what the disease wants me to do. So back to page 25. There is a solution, and it talks about what the solution is. And guess what? That's the steps four through nine, the transformation, the spiritual awakening. And it goes into greater detail about that on Appendix 2. I need the power of my highest power, my creator, the lover of my soul that made me, knitted me in my mother's womb, that truly loves me. I need to have a relationship with that power. I've also been learning what it is to be disciplined by that power and to be obedient to that power. I often don't want to live by the spiritual principles of this program. And I get into self. I get into self very easily on a daily basis. And if I ignore that tugging and get out of the plan of action that we have of steps 10, 11, and 12, I start to go unconscious to that power. And then I'm really, really in trouble. You know, in the chapter working with others, let me look at my time. Oh, my goodness, I have so much time left. Hopefully I'll still have lots of stuff to say. <laughs> um, in the chapter working with others, it talks about how we really our role when we share with newcomers and those that are in relapse. Our role is to disturb them. And you know, God's role is to disturb me too. I don't just have this fluffy cotton candy, pink clouds, God. You know, God has principles that I need to abide by. And there are consequences. And I've had to learn that. I continue to learn that. Anything that I start doing that's creating a self-seeking behavior, I'm still an addict. Anything that I try to take comfort in, um, I'm, I'm going to get bit. You know, and that's really how my husband is very different. He doesn't have to live that way. I have to run, hit my knees, you know, face down. God, help me. Help me. You know, I'm, I am an esthetician. I've been doing facials for over 20 years. And being a compulsive person during the pandemic, I, I got into this thing where I started doing peels on my face. And I got like crazy about it, doing too many peels. I got this huge rash on my face. I knew I should not be doing that many peels. See, that's just how my mind is. I had to go through that process of going to the doctor, getting on medication. Now, like, I got it. Like, I, I, don't, even, I don't even go near anything. It's like a peel. I got it. That's God's grace. Like, I got burned that way. If I don't listen to those things, like, there's going to be something more painful around the corner. And it's the same with the food. It's the same with the way I treat people. It's the same with honesty or lack of honesty, having integrity at work, uh, you know, anything across the board. It's always about growing and improving my being that person that God wants me to be. You know, in step seven, it talks about that 
we don't want to accept that it's about spiritual building and spiritual values, character building and spiritual values. That's what this whole thing is about, constantly growing and changing. So anyways, my role is to share with fellows and to hopefully disturb them. And it talks about in the chapter, working with others, that they don't realize how doomed they are. And, you know, that can happen to me if I start to go unconscious with my food, with the behavior. And then it talks about on page 25, if you are as seriously alcoholic as we were, don't you love that? We were. They're looking back. They're not like that anymore. They're recovered. They're sharing what they did. We believe there's no middle-of-the-road solution. I lived a middle-of-the-road solution for 23 years. I've got this. I've got my health. I've got my youth. I've got my mind. I've got whatever. You know, I've got this. I have it all dialed in. And then things started to happen. There were deaths in my family that were three people died in my family that were very significant. My body started to break down with my heart issue. I was miserable in my marriage, full of self-pity, bitter and angry about the unresolved relationships with my parents. And, uh, you know, I was just trying to do middle of the road. Well, I'll just get to a meeting. I'll read a self-help book. I'll meditate. I'll pray. But I hadn't put down the food. Food was my God. I was my God. You know, God wants to be the only God. I'm really good at a lot of idolatry. And I do that with people on this line. I do that with my role in meetings. You know, we get, I get feedback if I share on a meeting. I get feedback. It's instant. And it can feed me. And I really have felt led from God to back off and listen. Listen. You know what? I love in step one in the AA 12 and 12, listen like the dying person. I have to listen every day like a dying person. I'm still that addict. I have to have that sense of humility and surrender at depth. This disease is so deadly. It still is deadly. And it waits. You know, it waits for me. But I don't live in fear. You know, I do abstinence happily, all of that. I don't even think about what I want and don't want with the food. I am so happy, joyous, and free in my recovery. But I also have such a healthy sense of fear about the illness. So, let me just see here. I, I guess really the malady that it's talking about, you know, that baffled lot, once this malady has a real hold, it's a mental illness saying that this time it will be different or I can do this and I have to see that I can't do this. I need to grab hold of, and in my case, I grabbed hold of my sponsor and I grabbed hold of you guys. I had a lot of baggage about God. I didn't know that I did, but I did. And I'm glad that I didn't try and figure it all out. I just, I did the steps. You know, someone said to me when you're on step two, don't try and figure out what your step 11 is going to look like. Just know that with step two, it's a willingness to believe that you can't do this. You need something greater than you, period. End of discussion. If you know that, move on to step three. You know, and step three is just the decision to move on, to keep moving on. And I've done many, many inventories since the seven years. Many. 
and I continue to do them. And each time I get deeper and deeper and I've completed a lot of amends. I've, as far as I know, all my amends that I'm aware of have been completed to the very best of my ability. Um, but that's why I love working with others because when they're going through their amends process, new memories come back. Um, but, you know, my relationship with God, my creator, really changed over the last three and four years. So I needed that solid recovery of abstinence, consistent consistent abstinence and consistent recovery in the steps using this as a template, you know, my way of life. It's an action program, staying in the action. And then it's like something began to call to me more and more. And because the clarity is there, I listened to it. And I've just been going with it and going with it. And I'm so grateful for it. I just recently joined a church. That is new for me. I thought in a million years I would never do that. Getting involved in book studies that are not just the big book. Um, it's You know what? It's like the 12 steps is kindergarten, spiritual kindergarten, you know. And I just am wanting to grow more and more. But I need you guys. I need my recovered fellows you newcomers and sponsees, I need you more than you need me. You have no idea how much you save me. God, of course, ultimately saves me, so I'm not saying it like you're, you know, that way. But that self-centeredness and self-absorption comes over me. And being able to be useful, to be a vessel, is just such a gift. So anyways, I'm feeling kind of led to wind down and just bring it to a close. So that's all I have. Thank you so much. I pass. Oh, gosh, Lisa, thank you so much for your share. It was lovely. I have to say, <laughs> you had me laughing. Um, early in your presentation, you, you masterfully had me identifying with you when you, you shared that years ago, just to be able to speak to your your father, you needed a caramel macchiato. <laughs> and... Um, and 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 the common refrain that we have sometimes internally me too me too lisa yeah same thing different substance right um but anyways thank you so much for this real gem for our archives and um so now we're going to transition over to uh question and answer phase of the of the presentation this morning and so um if you would like to pose a question to Lisa B from South Carolina, what you're gonna do is you're gonna press star one to unmute your phone, and you're gonna give me your first name and last initial and questions only, please. So who would like who has a question for Lisa B? Uh, Elaine G from New York. Elaine, Elaine Marcia, G. Marcia D. Marcia, from Marcia, Minnesota. Marcia. Who was from Minnesota? Heather M. Bonnie B. I'm sorry. Bo Bo Bonnie B. was from Minnesota, right? Yes. Okay. And I guess yes. I got Amelia O. Uh, was that Camille? Camille? Amelia. Um, <laughs> Amelia, this is what happens when you turn 57. Uh, who this else? C. in New York. Patricia, I think I heard. And who was from New York? Susan C. Susan. Okay, Susan C. And I think that was Patricia that I heard before, Susan. Debbie Anybody V. Else? Debbie. Debbie. Thank you. 
Beth um, who, VK. Okay. Carla C. Hold on. Carla, that's who it was. So uh, before Beth is Carla. Let's get started with this list and then we'll see where we're at. We should have a good amount of time um, leading up to the top of the hour. So here's who I heard. Elaine, um, Marsha, I'm not giving last initials here. You can give those. Bonnie, Heather, Amelia, Patricia, Susan, Debbie, Carla, and my favorite female name on Father's Day, Beth. <laughs> so Elaine G, would you get us started followed by Marsha? Elaine, good morning. Uh, this is Elaine G what? from New York. Uh, thank you for um, letting me share. Anyway, uh, I was thinking about, you know, I missed about 15 minutes of the talk, but I, I was getting the drift. I said yes to everything. Yeah. <laughs> I did this, I did this. But anyway, um, last night, I have a problem with uh, eating in the middle of the night, and um, I don't know why, when I went shopping, that um, I got this package of, do we, can we uh, say food here or no? Well, here's here's what we could do, Elaine. Yeah, yeah, we could say food, but Elaine, here's what we got to do is we got to formulate a question. That's kind of what we do here. So around that premise, can you formulate a question for Lisa? Because I'm sure she could help. Uh, yeah. I, I bought a package of uh, cantaloupe and a package of honeydew, and I don't know why uh, I, I, I kept on eating it until the point that in the middle of the night I, I – uh, Got these terrible cramps in my uh, thighs, and had to drink a lot okay. of water to get rid of the pain. I so I don't know why I do. Yeah, but... yeah. Let me let me see if I could tell Elaine. I don't mean to jump off. Just for the interest of time, what I'm hearing that I bet Lisa could help with is because I've been there with you, Elaine. I find I found myself, whatever the circumstances, we all have our circumstances, right? Of just eating uncontrollably, and I'll be damned. If I didn't just keep eating, and next thing you know, I got you know all kinds of consequences from the eating, you know, distress, uh, gastro, you know, distress, all that kind of stuff. And I don't know why the heck I did that, Lisa. Mm -hmm. If that was a question, why? Yeah, why? Why, why don't we do that? Is that fair? <laughs> I can so relate. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Elaine G, for sharing, and thanks uh, for being on the meeting. Well, you know, uh, yes, I mean. It's that uncontrollable eating. And, you know, for me, it really helped to look at the food item. Um, some people do have a issue, you know, with sweet things like fruit. Um, but that's something you can always talk to your sponsor about. But there are certain food items that seem very healthy, like very healthy. And I just, I, I just can't eat them, you know, because they're so sweet for me. Um, and definitely the volume, and then I have these horrible consequences in my gut. You know, it sounds just like that's, for me, that is the compulsive overeating and the horrible problem that happens, you know. So uh, I can really relate, and it so helps to have guidance from someone that's gone before us that can maybe help us look at foods that, you know, like sweet foods for me I have I just don't have really really sweet foods and I'm very limited on the fruits I have just because the progression of the disease um, it triggers me so I hope that helps you Elaine and I, I hear you share in the meeting because I listen a lot to the 10 a.m. meeting and I'm grateful that you're here it's wonderful to hear you thank you I helped a lot thanks 
Yeah, thanks, Elaine. Um, okay, next up we have Marsha followed by Bonnie. Marsha, good morning. Good morning, OA family. This is Marsha D in Ohio. And Lisa, thank you so much for your wonderful, wonderful share. I, I took great notes. Um, and my question is just if you would elaborate a bit on how the spiritual malady ha- shows up in your life and how you guard against it today. Thank you so much, Marsha. Um, what a great question. <laughs> well, the spiritual malady shows up when I have like an empty well. Uh, I don't have that spiritual connection. And this has been an ongoing thing for me. And over the past, I would say, four years, I have a routine. I don't even like to use that word routine because it sounds like drudgery. It's not drudgery. It's my favorite time of the day where I have just accepted, and I always kind of say it in a joking way, but I'm not really joking. This, You know how we sometimes hear in the rooms, you know, some are sicker than others. Well, I must be one of those very, very sick people because I need a lot of spiritual connection. And I have to have as a very, very, very first thing of my day, a lot of time in prayer, meditation, and reading. And I don't want to feel rushed through it. So I get up very early and also, I'm delving into where it talks about in step 11. Let me go there in the big book, which is always the best place to go. Um, it talks about how, uh, well, it says here that there are many helpful books, and that's what's really helped me seeking other books out. And it says here, suggestions about these may be obtained from one priest, minister, or rabbi. Be quick to see where religious people are right. Here it is. Make use of what they offer. I decided to do that. That's what's really kept me full, full spiritually. I walked around so much of my life an empty well, and I would seek other people out that were empty wells, and then I would get so frustrated and turn to the food. You know, the whole thing about this program is, and it tells us in working with others, it's really about getting that connection with God, our creator, that's supposed to keep us full. We don't want to rely on our sponsors. We don't even want to become dependent on the meetings, although they're wonderful and we need that fellowship for sure, especially in the beginning. But when I'm feeling... That malady, that means that 10, 11, and 12, there's most likely a inventory I haven't written, I haven't shared, my 11th step is lacking. Everything is there for a reason. It's like it keeps me locked in place, you know, step 11, morning, and then pausing all through the day. And I have to take that seriously, like where I really do pause and have that moment of connection with God. Um, And then at night, that written nightly review, which captures anything that I missed during the day. And I have them. I will have them. And sharing my 11th step with someone, you know, helps me. Not necessarily as an accountability partner because they don't really respond, but just knowing that I'm sending it to them. They don't send me theirs. You know, it just, I don't know. It's just something we got into where I send them mine. And that's what I like to do. I did do a 10-step this week that I was trying to kind of do on, on my own in my head. It was a really, really big work thing that had triggered me in my head, not triggered with the food, but triggered me emotionally, where I had a lot of fear and pride. And 
finally, it's like, it's so weird. I resist what's good for me. I didn't want to sit down and write it out. I kept saying, I'll do this, I'll do that. And it was like, no, I have a time set at 8.30 this morning. I'm going to give her my 10th step. And out of respect for her, I wanted to have it written out so I wouldn't just be blabbering all over the place so it would be focused and clear. And I wrote it out and I shared it with her. And guess what? It lifted. And it's like, I get surprised. It's like, but that's what the big book says, you know, to do. And then I get surprised that it works. So 10, 11, and 12. And then my food. Is my food clean? Is there something going on with my food that I'm not really dealing with? So with that, I hope that helps you. That's the thing with the questions. Sometimes, like, I go on these tangents. But thank you, Marsha, for the question. <laughs> I do the same thing. No, it's great. Okay, next up, thanks, Marcia. And next up, we have Bonnie, followed by Heather. Bonnie, good morning. It's your turn for a question. Good, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much, Larry, for moderating. And Lisa, it was a beautiful, beautiful share. So um, here's my question. So I tend to be surprised and all or nothing. I mean, this is just my nature. And so I get into this schedule thing, right? And I, I speak out all the time. People don't want my list. God doesn't want my list. God wants my heart. But I find myself running back to that schedule. So when you talk about the routine, I've got a routine, but I feel like the routine ends up being God or the program ends up being God. And I'm wondering if you can speak to that or if you've experienced that or all, or how do you moderate that? And thank you again for your share. Oh, thank you. I hope I'm understanding the question. So, you know, initially the routine is there, but then the routine turns out to be a good thing. And yes, yes. And coming into Vision for You, this OA meeting and working with my sponsor. Oh, that's my timer. Hold on. <laughs> that's my timer. Um, working with my sponsor, learning to be disciplined in the beginning was so vital. Um, some people don't like it. And I liked it. It gave me direction, and I found that that's just stayed with me all throughout. It helps me to remember as a recovered compulsive overeater that how I feel is not like the be-all and end-all. Yes, I can eat over my feelings if I get disturbed. I need to do 10 steps. I know that, but I don't look so much today of, how I feel, like, well, I don't feel like doing that, or I don't want to do that. It's discipline. You know, the big book tells us we are undisciplined people, and we learn to become so disciplined in this program, and I'm so grateful for that, and it's gone over into every area of my life where that discipline is there, planning, preparing. Um, yes, it's it's wonderful. It's been Fabulous. I don't know if I answered your question, but I kind of got the gist of what you were saying. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Bonnie. Okay, next up we have Heather followed by Amelia. Heather, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for your service, Larry and um, Jen. Thank you so much. So my question is, um, I'm sorry, Lisa. My question is, you spoke about um, abstinence and just understanding what it was and the process of figuring out the difference that, you know, abstinence didn't mean recovery, things like that. My question for you is, though, how did you or what led you to a point where you were even able to get abstinence in the very beginning? Oh, that's such a great question. And, you know, it 
comes up all the time. Um, first of all, no one likes to get abstinent. No one likes to put everything down. You know, food was my source of comfort. It was my source of power. I mean, it it really enabled me to cope. Like, I'm not kidding when I say that about the drink, you know, that beverage that I would have just to talk to my father. Um, and, and on the weekends, like if I didn't have my job to lose myself in, the weekends were really scary for me because um, I just needed to have something to fall into, you know, like some people fall into a bottle of scotch. Well, I fall into, you know, cookies and pastries and things like that. So um, I knew that there was no other way around it. You can't go around it. You have to go through it. I just knew that to the core of my being. And I knew that this was not going to go away. This disease wasn't going to go away. Like, it, it's just going to be there my whole life. I will die with it, but I don't want to die from it. But the sad, the weird thing is sometimes we don't die from it. We're like, we just die natural causes, but still untreated. And like I would hear on the meeting, do you want to die with that gift inside of you unpacked and unopened and you know, I still walk around today in life and I look around and I'm experiencing life and I'm like, this is amazing. This is so good. I didn't know that life could be like this. Like Larry's talking about his beautiful daughter and Father's Day and it's so sweet. I can't experience feelings like that when I am in the food. I can't appreciate my husband, the way I can appreciate him. I can't appreciate my job or just being outside or being in the moment in prayer. I can't connect with God when I'm in the food. Just always having that edge of irritation and frustration, it's never going to go away. Yes, like two seconds when you bite into the cookie, there's like, ah, you know. But what started happening to me is I wasn't even feeling that anymore. And then I wanted to stop eating and I couldn't. And then I wasn't even tasting the food anymore. It's just not comfortable. It's not easy. And when I when I came to Vision, I had been, by God's grace, off of sugar for a year. But what I was doing, because I knew that sugar was killing me. It was making me a crazy person in my head, in my moods. I was a nut. I was a nut. I knew I was going to have to go on some sort of med medication system, something, because I was so unhinged emotionally that I thought, I've got to get off the sugar. So I did that, white knuckling it with God's help, but it really wasn't getting off of it because then I would eat a huge bowl of mashed potatoes with butter and salt or whatever, you know. So I really, I never really got off of everything. So when I came to Vision I needed a few months to listen to the meetings. I heard the hope. I heard the joy. There is nothing like that joy that starts to come in. I remember feeling that joy coming into me and feeling it like it just, I was, there was joy. I hadn't felt that for a very long time. You know, maybe when I was little at a good Christmas time or whatever, you know, or, oh, this boy likes me or I had a big shopping spree. You know, I would have those kinds of joyful moments. But this was a different joy. And you guys brought it to me. I would hear it 
on the phone in your voices. And when I was working with my sponsor, I had the thought, she's not smarter than I am. She doesn't know a secret handshake. See, that's why we have to have a recovered sponsor, because she would share with me what she was like, that she couldn't get off the couch, that she thought she was going to have to go to a psychiatrist, that she thought she couldn't go to work, that she thought she was going to have to get a divorce. She was just like me, but yet she wasn't like that anymore. Yet she did it. She did it. I thought, you know what? It's not like she has something that I don't have. I mean, now she she did then because she was recovered. But when she went through it, she didn't. She suffered through it just like I knew I was going to. And we suffer for a few weeks. I mean, but it's kind of exciting because we have people around us and it's a new chapter. And we're praying we're asking for help, and you have support around you if you have good sponsorship. So I hope that helps you. Thank you so much there, Heather, for the question and Lisa for the answer. We have Amelia up next, followed by Patricia. Amelia, good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Um, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts or what you might say to someone who is abstinent, has been abstinent for a long time, and has neutrality around the food, but is not feeling happy, joyous, and free, is still really struggling with some dark places emotionally and perhaps spiritually. Thank you. Thank you so much for that question. To me, it's a courageous question, but I've asked that exact same question, so that's why, because I have been there. I have been there. I had that at the beginning of the pandemic where almost like this cloak came over me of just emptiness. Now, I had, and I still have, had and have had neutrality with the food. There weren't slips. I wasn't messy with the food. I was still doing 10 steps, sharing, sponsoring, but something more. I needed something more, and I started crying out to God. You know, a lot of times there's an inventory that needs to be done. Now, I was really grateful because I did do about four steps, four through nine, four times over the pandemic, just with different groups and sponsors and all different things that I was doing. And, oh, I did find a lot of things that needed to be amended and looked at. And Oh, but I kept crying out to God and I needed more. And just like what I read uh, to Marsha, you know, when she asked, Uh, Be quick to see where religious people are right. You know, we have to look at the foundation of the 12 steps coming from the Oxford group, reading the history books, how it started, you know, how the whole thing started, that it was a religious group. And um, that really helped me. I read those things all during the pandemic. Dr. Bob and the good old timers and what they used to do and early AA before the big book was there was not like what was going on in meetings today. Definitely not. I started doing those things that they were saying that they were doing. And I needed to go to meetings where God was talked about. I joined groups and book studies and I kept crying out to God. And guess what came to the surface? Prejudice about my idea of God. And I kept crying out and talking to people, uh, I had to be quick to see where religious people were right and make use of what they offer. I don't have that cloak anymore. 
um, God is the central fact of my life today. It talks about that and there is a solution. You know, central fact means central fact. What am I thinking about all day long? If I'm in that place, what am I thinking about all day long? A lot of times I think about what other people think about me. Um, am I getting some sort of a self-seeking from, you know, people giving me applause and validation, whether it's in the meetings or through sponsorship or whatever? I have to look at all that. God has to be the central fact of my life today. And asking in prayer, what do you want me to be, God? What is it you see when you look at my heart? Because that's what God looks at. What do you look at my heart? What do you see when you see my heart? Where is their bitterness? Where is their fear and resentment? Where is their pride and idol, idol worship? And it started coming up. Yeah, oh my goodness, so many things. So many things will come up. So I hope that helps. I pass. Thank you so much there, Amelia. Next up is Patricia, followed by Susan. Patricia, what, what's your question this morning? Yeah, this is Patricia, Patricia P. from uh, Burial Springs, Michigan. Thank you, Larry and Lisa, for your service. I was just wondering about uh, when I first got my sponsor, I was two weeks abstinent, but I felt like I was still spiritually bankrupt. How do we know if we're still in spiritual uh, fit condition? Oh, did you um, ever get to go through all the 12 steps, abstinent? I don't know if she muted. Well, I can answer based on what she shared. You know, when I was two weeks abstinent, I was spiritually bankrupt for sure. I really was because I hadn't gone through the steps. So when we're abstinent, it doesn't mean that we're spiritually, you know, cured we really have to go just like it says in the book it's not me you know it's the spiritual awakening that we get as a result of these steps that personality change as a result of going through the steps in a state of abstinence you know abstinence gets me in the door it's the key that turns the door you know unlocks it but really the whole focus is those steps in a state of abstinence to have that transformation and there's mile markers all along the way throughout the book that are called promises you know that'll like in the fifth step promises you know um, you'll be uh, delight are you delighted you know it asks all these questions with each step and am I experiencing those things but oh boy when I was two weeks abstinent no I, I definitely was spiritually bankrupt I hope that helps Are you there, Larry? I don't hear you. Oh, there we go. There we <laughs> go. Myself. Yeah, okay. Um, next up, we have Susan with a question followed by Debbie. Susan, good morning. Yeah, good morning, Larry and Lisa with an E. <laughs> um, thanks so much for the service and the beautiful intro and share. Um, Lisa, you mentioned that your husband for lack of a better way of putting it, doesn't have the same kind of brain that many of us have where we, we need to do this work. And you referenced um, what sounded to me like an acceptance of the fact that there are certain things that he doesn't and won't understand and that you don't need him to because you um, have the sense of belonging in this fellowship with your fellows. And so 
I seem to have the capacity to be grateful for all that I have while simultaneously still fighting the reality and wanting, you know, more of what I don't have. And I do the inventories on it. I see the dishonesty, selfishness, et cetera. So the question is, is this something that you need to do inventories on? And perhaps might you speak to how you've come to peace with it? Um, Or, you know, was this not really a biggie for you? Thanks so much. Oh, thank you so much for that question. Um, You know, what has really helped me is getting right with God has really helped me because everything has fallen into place. I understand the rhythm that there is a plan. There is a plan, and it's not mine to determine, and I, I don't want to play God anymore. And there is acceptance, and I really think that um, I think that's been the biggest blessing over the past four years that's happened for me, of understanding um, my place, my role. You know, God is the. I have to find all that that page. You know, God is the God is my employer. I know that, but you know, in step three. It talks about, oh, my goodness. But I just love your question because it's I hadn't reflected on that. This happened to me, and now you're giving me a chance to reflect on it. Um, so God is my employer. God is my creator. And I don't, I don't need to have everything, well, I believe me, I do a ton of 10 steps because I want things the way I want them. <laughs> So let me try and get it get it right. Um, I guess because I'm just resting and trusting in God, and I I've stopped trying to get people to understand me, and uh, to yeah, um, yeah. So He is the principal. You know, God is my director. He is the principal. We are His agents. He is the Father. We are His children, and understanding that over the last four years at a gut level has given me such um, peace about really everything in life. Um, It doesn't mean I like it. There are a lot of things that happen. My friends on this line that I do 10 steps with, believe me, they know. There are a lot of things I don't like. Um, But Ultimately, God is God, and I trust that I am where I need to be, and I pray for my husband every day, and I also make gratitude lists, you know, all around the things that I love about him, and I look at what I do have. He's not abusive or mean about it. I mean, sometimes that can happen where people will say, you know, I'm so mad that you never want to go here any anymore, and I'm mad that you won't want to eat this with me, and I've sponsored people, and that can happen. I hear about it, uh, but you know what? Then that's the thing that we're going to have to learn to grow through and come to peace with it. There will be something on the other end of that, some gift that we will get that we will ultimately be helpful to someone else with that very same thing. But I have to rely on God and trust in God. And um, Yeah, I don't know if all that makes sense, but I hadn't had a chance to really reflect on that because I hadn't even realized that that's, hey, that's what's happened to me over the last three or four years. But it's because of the growing 
with God that's helped me so much, of an acceptance that he is the father, we are his children. Um, I'm just very, you know what, the big book tells us that we've entered the world of the spirit. And I'm. it talks about, that's really what our focus needs to be on. So it's not so much the things of this world that I, I don't want to focus on. That This is all temporal. It's the things in the world of the spirit. I know that sounds kind of weird and hokey because, you know, we're still living life here and working and everything. But I don't know. I've just accepted that that's really where my treasure is with God and in the world of the spirit. And God is sustaining me. Um, I lived a lot of years before I knew my husband, you know, and I was functioning and doing what I was doing. And now I'm blessed to have him in my life. And I don't need him to get, you know, my food and <laughs> and my diseases and illnesses. I just don't. It's enough about me. I'd rather get him and understand him. I spent years trying to get him to get me. I really now, to be honest with you, I'm really just trying to understand him. And how can I be helpful to him and love him? I learned so much about my husband on a daily basis because I was so oblivious, caught up with myself. And that would probably be a good suggestion. How can you learn about your husband and understand your husband and appreciate your husband rather than having him understand you? God understands us, you know, and we're so blessed to have God brought us to this program and then this program brought us to God. And what a gift to have that. Hope that helps. I pass. Yeah, I think, I think that was Susan. I hope I got. The, I didn't get this out of order. Um, so the, the next up is Debbie, followed by Carla. Debbie, good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much. Thank you, Larry. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you from my heart. I feel a lot of gratitude. I'm gratefully recovering and recovered in Virginia. Please, Lisa, can you expand with an example of how you enacted? Not liking something, but doing it anyway. Can you, can you share how you did that, please? Thank you so much. Oh, goodness gracious. On a daily basis, there are things that I don't like and do it anyway. Thank you for the questions. But I, getting recovered, I would say having the phone appointments initially with my sponsor. Um, she wanted to meet four, four times a week, five times a week. And I just thought, you know what? That will actually kill me. It will kill me. I can't do it. I can do two, maybe three times a week. I just didn't think I had the energy. So meeting with her um, in the beginning, even though I loved talking to her, I loved listening to her share about her experience with the food. You know, when I started working with her, I really didn't know for sure how that I really am a true compulsive overeater. Like I thought she's worse than me and she has to do all this stuff. So she would share with me stories about her experience with the food and getting recovered. And do you know that that's how I began to identify more and more that I was a real compulsive overeater. So we need to hear recovered people share. We really do. But in the beginning meeting with her, because I was so tired because I was getting abstinent, you know, newly abstinent, um, Listening to the meeting every day, I loved listening to the meeting every day, but it was also, I don't know, it was still sometimes challenging. Listening to the podcast, in the beginning, making outreach calls. I would say the real first biggie was writing step four. Like, I just didn't want to do it. 
I just didn't want to put pen to paper. And I knew I had a time period, and she was a good sponsor. She gave me a date to have it finished by. And I didn't want to do it. I did do it, though. I did all those things. A lot. It's all God's grace. Asking for help in prayer really helps. Preparing my food, doing food shopping. That was just like, oh, I got to go to the store. I got to get all this stuff. So much self-pity, you know, preparing it, packing it. I have to take it with me because I don't know how long I'm going to be gone. And I don't know that I'm going to find something. In the beginning, they say, you know, you really don't want to eat out or vacation until you're in step 10, which is great advice. That's not in the big book. That was a suggestion. And that's why we want to go through the steps quickly. Um Let's see. Well, doing the fifth step was hard. I didn't really want to do that. Making amends. I did not want to do that. And I didn't want to call fellows and share with them about my amends and get their opinion. How did it sound? Does this sound okay? I mean, I didn't want to do that. Um, Paying the money back in amends. Going up to an employer that I stole from. Didn't want to do that. Going to the tax office, letting them know that I was dishonest. I didn't want to do that, but I did it with all God's grace, and it's such a gift and so worth it, so worth it. Yeah, so much, so many things, making amends to my husband, making amends to my stepson, writing a letter to my father, writing a letter to my sister. A lot of times I didn't want to do it because it was so heart-wrenching. Praying, I didn't want to do that, sit quietly. Not complain. I didn't want to complain. I mean, I wanted to complain, but I was told I shouldn't complain. So I I could go on and on. There's a lot. I, I probably went on too much. I passed. Yeah. I think you're doing great, Lisa. Thanks. Okay, next up we have Carla followed by Beth. Carla, your turn for a question for Lisa. Thank you, Larry and Lisa. I love uh, this um, sharing time. Um, for me, um, I listened to this woman talk about forgiveness and how she had to beat something up in order to release what she, you know, was inside of her. I was wondering if you have any experience with that for forgiveness. Well, um, hmm. you know, my experience in the program um getting recovered as a compulsive overeater and going through the steps. I don't have experience with that. Um, I, but I know that people have done that. And I did do that at one time, you know, many years ago in therapy. I wasn't really, you know, recovering at all with the food. And so, I mean, that probably was also what they were doing at that time. You know, it, it really didn't help me, but what really helped me was putting the food down, getting abstinent and going through the steps and having that spiritual experience. Those things have lifted off of me. Um, I During the pandemic, a resentment came on where I had that resentment for about a year and a half through the, through the pandemic. I didn't eat over it. I shared. I prayed. I did 10 steps. I did everything I needed to do, but it was just waiting for the waiting for the change of my attitude, and it did finally happen. Um, 
Yes, it did finally happen. I learned a lot from that experience. And I just kept giving it to God and sharing and hitting my knees. Oh, you know what? It's back, God. That that bitterness is back in my heart. I'm thinking those things about that person again. I pray for the willingness to be willing to just let you remove, please remove this from me. And, you know, praying for the person really does help. Like it talks about, do you, I don't know if you know about that, but in the big book, there is a story, uh, freedom from bondage. I think it's in there. And there is a prayer if you pray for the person for two weeks. But I had to see what my mistakes were. I have to always see what my mistakes are when they're, something that I'm not forgiving and sometimes there's I just was hurt by someone so inappropriately and I didn't do anything wrong they were sick and they hurt me and yeah so I, I don't know I'm not sure if really I'm helping you but I passed I have a feeling you are okay Beth it's your turn good morning Good morning, Larry, and happy Father's Day to you and all. I am Beth V, gratefully recovering in Pennsylvania, and thank you all who made, who gave service today and make make this meeting happen. Um, So thank you, Lisa. I I wanted to uh, focus on something you read today. We believe there is no middle-of-the-road solution. And I looked up that phrase, the definition, and it is a course of action midway between extremes. And I read that as the extremes of going on as I have been living in hopelessness, binging and eating, or doing something entirely new and different, or or three, or three perhaps being stuck in the middle of chronic relapse. So my question about that is, how does one make the leap if you're lost somewhere in the road and to to get to the other side um, where there is recovery and the solution? Thank you. Thank you. What a great question. Well, you know, there are people on this line that um, can take people through the steps very, very, very quickly, really quick. And that, I think, is of tremendous value. Um, it took me, it took my sponsor and I 12 weeks to go through. When I've worked with people, it's usually anywhere from like nine to 10 weeks, but there are people that do it very quickly. So that is important to know that um, sometimes that helps, you know, go it, not sometimes. It definitely helps going through the steps quickly. I couldn't do, I am grateful that I did it in the amount of time that I did it. I I wanted to be able to understand and absorb what I was reading, what we were talking about. And I I liked learning um, the skill set of how to do the steps, you know, and it just really helped me in reading the literature with my sponsor was such a gift because I was in so much denial and I needed to read it with her so that's something to keep in mind um but there's a saying and it says i can't fit let me think here i have to fit my life into oa i can't fit oa into my life it has to be number one it has to be priority i have to really really want to do this but just know that it doesn't have to take a long time 
and it works. It's been working for decades and decades and decades for thousands and millions of people that have been in situations probably beyond anything that I've ever been in, you know, heroin addicts and living on the street and just, and the miracle happens. It happens. It It's not magical. It is miraculous, but it's not magical. It's work and it's action. It is a lot of work, but it is totally doable. And it's very crazy for me to think like I'm the one case that this won't work for. So that middle of the road solution would be, you know, trying to rely on human power. But yet I need, you know, human power in the beginning, you know, as a guide to give me direction and to hear the new message, you know, of hope and that this does work. It really does. I can't do this on my own. Having a group of people around us is so important because I'm naturally an isolator as a compulsive overeater. I isolate and I get in with my own private thoughts and turn within myself and I become very, very sick. I become very, very, very sick emotionally, spiritually, mentally, very imbalanced. But when I have people around me that have done this before me and that are healthy and strong and have an understanding how to present this teaching, you know, this guidance through the book, um, it's a way of life and it really, really works. And getting that abstinence is so important. I can't do it halfway. I can't do anything in this program halfway. I can't do abstinence halfway. Well, I'm, you know, like, oh, I'm a little bit more abstinent than I was last year. I'm just not all the way abstinent. You know, I've improved and it's progress, not perfection. I can't, I'm never going to get anywhere. I have to really be clear in my mind and body. It's amazing how this big book came to life. When we started reading it, when I, for the very first time, got entirely abstinent, I just couldn't believe the words were jumping off the page. Yes, and it's not too good to be true. You know, that hopelessness is in there, rooted in all of us when we're struggling in that middle-of-the-road solution. And it's pain and agony doing middle-of-the-road solution. I've gone to meetings and been in a middle-of-the-road solution, and I have felt, why am I not happy? What is missing? Why can't I, why can't I get this? What is it that's missing in my life? That's the middle-of-the-road solution. And then going home and making a call, trying to make that fix me. That's the middle-of-the-road solution. I've got to get in the work the 12 steps. You know what? It talks about, I meant to read this, that, you know, we're very self-destructive in this program. We really are. And there is a solution. You know, we pull the whole thing down on ourselves. We are bent on self-destruction. We we really are. And I, I don't know this, but I imagine suicide is probably a very high rate for compulsive overeaters because it's just horrible being a compulsive overeater and not getting recovered or just having a white knuckle abstinence and not getting recovered spiritually and emotionally and mentally. But, you know, we're bent on self-destruction. And when we look at step 12 in the AA 12 and 12, I love this line. It says here on page 107 that he finds himself in possession of a degree of honesty, tolerance, unselfishness, peace of mind, and love of which he had thought himself quite incapable. What he has received is a free gift, 
and here it is. And yet usually, at least in some small part, he has made himself ready to receive it. We have to make ourselves ready to receive it. God wants us to give us, he wants to give us this gift. We have to make ourselves ready. It's all about getting reconciled with our creator. That's what the whole thing is about. Getting right with our fellow man, right with God. And then we get to experience those gifts and it's free and it's not impossible. And it can be permanent. I hope that helps. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Beth. And that's going to be the conclusion of our, our meeting this uh, this morning. and. and once again, Lisa B., uh, thank you so much for such a generous devotion of your time today uh, to be helpful to all of us. Uh, it's really, really good. Um, let me give you the share ID before I uh, read from one page, page 164. The share ID for Lisa B.'s um, presentation this morning is 20,361. Again, the share ID for today, 203. Six, one. And so we're going to close the meeting. We'll get Lisa's contact information um, at the conclusion of the recorded portion of the meeting. But before we conclude that recorded portion, I'm going to read from page 164 in a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.